0: Psalm 33, since uh, Mary voted down going further last time I was teaching, and I appreciate very much the things, the kind words that Rick shared about my teaching last week, and I appreciate the um, ability to take our time in the Word of God. Um, As we were praying um, beforehand this morning, uh, uh, Dave Bigler prayed, you know, that the Holy Spirit would be in the worship and in the talk. He said, the talk. And the talk, when I was growing up, was the talk. And I was like, we're not doing that today. Just in case any of you thought, you know, I'll just let Bill have the talk with my kids or my husband or whatever. That's not what we're doing. Nope. We'll be in Psalm 33. It's one of the uh, unattributed psalms. Uh, there's no there's no uh, author that's given for this, um, and it's certainly a psalm of praise. Uh, interestingly, this psalm has no mention of Jacob, no mention of Israel, any of the patriarchs, no Moses, no Jerusalem, no tribe of Israel, no names, no places, except heaven and earth except God and man, God and nations, what we have here are words for all. Words for all. Starting in verse 1, it says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. We'll kind of go verse by verse today. I'm not going to read the whole thing first. So, you know, I just said, this is words for all, right? And the writer's addressing the righteous. And you may say, uh, that's not who I think I am. That's not who I feel I am. This this isn't for me. This is to the righteous, to, to the upright. I don't consider myself that. I don't think of myself as such a person. And the Apostle John writing of the amazing nature of Jesus... In the beginning of his gospel, he writes in verses 12 through 13, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The invitation is open to all. The invitation is open to all. Would you, do you receive him? Would you, do you believe in his name? When we finally get to verse 21 today, we'll see again this idea of trusting in his name. But the invitation is open to all. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. For praise from the upright is beautiful. I don't care what you think of your singing. I don't care what you think of your singing. If Christ has made you righteous, if you have faith in him, if you believe in his name, he has made you righteous. He has made you upright. Your praise is beautiful. It is beautiful and he wants hear it rick and i didn't talk about this but so many of the things that you said god that we can bring to god how much more important to sing his praises and the truth about him than to constantly be thinking about the things that we do think about verse two praise the lord with the harp make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings sing to him a new song play skillfully with a shout of joy so this is the first place today we're going to camp out for a little while regarding this, uh, this verse. You see this command or this instance of a new song multiple times throughout the Bible. Here in Psalm 33, sing to him a new Turn with me. You can leave your finger in Psalm 33 to Psalm 40. John has told me, John Wilkerson has told me, when we get to Psalm 40, somebody has to sing the U2 version of Psalm 40. I would be happy to. Listen to this. I waited patiently for the Lord, verse 1, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps, he has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust the Lord. A new song. You've got all you need in those three verses to sing a new song to God. All of these things that David, who's the writer of Psalm 40, wrote, He's made true of each of us that have faith in Jesus Christ. And so we've got this ability to sing a new song. Psalm 96, turn with me there. Starting in verse 1, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. What a great song to sing. Psalm 98. This one's close, so there's going be one page turn. Not even maybe one. Verse 1, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand, speaking of Jesus, and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation, his righteousness he has revealed in the sight of nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Here we see in his relationship with Israel, he's revealed through that his salvation to all the ends of the earth. Sing to him. Psalm 144. This is fun, right? Uh, Until you nodded, Ryan, I wasn't sure you thought it was fun. (laughs) Give me his poker face. You never know what's going on with Ryan. Psalm 144. Uh, So here, verse 9, I will sing a new song to you, O God. On a harp of ten strings, I will sing praises to you. I'll tell you, go back and read verses 1 through 8 on your own, but especially, let's look at verse 3. Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him? Son of man, that you are mindful of him. These are reasons to sing a new song. These are reasons to continually burst out in praise to God, to keep finding new things to sing about him, Isaiah 42 speaks of the Messiah and in light of his characteristics commands that a new song be a new song be sung to the ends of the earth. It will be amazing enough Writing, as we've learned in uh in our in our Wednesday study you get a switch when it turns over to Isaiah 40 and he's been writing to the people in existence at the time and suddenly it shifts and he's writing prophetically to a people that will be in captivity in hundred and fifty years. And what's in Psalm in Isaiah forty two is speaking of the Messiah and his characteristics and commanding that a new song, a song how I mean, many done any of that wrong? A new song be sung. It's clearly about Jesus, and there's reason for each and every one who has and ever will read this to sing. Sing Revelation 5. You need to do like a whole big chunk right to the end, unless you've got a giant concordance. so i want to read the entire chapter it's not that long to set the stage for this because this is the first time we see the phrase in an actual song along with it revelation 5 and i saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne so this is god this is john's visions of god god has brought him up to heaven and said these are these are the things that will be and i want you to write about these things and I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who's worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep, behold... The Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. So the elders describe Jesus as the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, and how he's prevailed, and John sees him. And I looked, verse 6, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as though it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And then every creature which is in heaven, and on the earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. You've got these four distinct parts of this song. First, the four living creatures and 24 elders sing verses 9 and 10. Then a host of angels joins in with the four and the 24, with the four living creatures and the 24 elders, and they sing verse 11. Then every creature, every created thing, responds with verse 13 Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And finally, the four living creatures close it out with amen. They sang a new song because something happened that needed to progress God's plan. The Lamb was able to take the scroll and open the seals. Finally, the final uh, time we see this idea of a new song is in Revelation 14. We'll read verses 1 through 5. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, And like the voice of loud thunder, and I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps, they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes, these were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb, and in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So each of these, these 144,000, they're spoken of also in Revelation chapter 7, uh, 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel. Now, it's followed immediately by a description of a great multitude who are also saved. So if anybody ever tells you there's only 144,000 people saved, they don't know what they're talking about. They are not reading what God has said. It's not accurate. There's a great multitude. There's something special, though, about these 144,000. If you go back, and I'm, I'm not going to make you go back. I know I'm reading a lot. If you go back to Revelation six, so Jesus has taken the scroll and he begins to open the seals, and there's utter destruction happening on the earth as these seals begin to be opened, and the first six are open in Revelation chapter six. And if you, it talks about I I I feel like, and you know this is uh, this is speculation from me, but. With what John was seeing, I almost think God looked at him and said, we got to take a time out here. (laughs) John's knees are getting weak, he's turning green, because all these things, this immense destruction is happening on earth as the seals of God's wrath are being opened, as the seals of judgment are being opened. If you remember back in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, Jesus says to them, to his disciples, I have many more things to tell you, but you can't handle them right now. You, I have much, and I think God sees John, and he says, wait a second, I got to show him what's going on behind the scenes, and you have this parenthetical chapter in, ver, in chapter 7 of Revelation, and he sees what's going on behind the scenes. There's these 144,000 sealed, and this great multitude that comes to God through the tribulation. And so in this great destruction, what's occurring is the redemption that God has planned. And he says that you don't only see the bad that's going on, I want you to understand the fruit that will come from these things. And there's something special. It's speculated about these that they're sealed to go on and preach the gospel and participate in bringing about this great revival during the tribulation. Anybody tells you nobody's saved during the tribulation, they're wrong. They don't know what they're talking about. God is doing an immense work during a great destruction, during pouring out his wrath. And he shows John, and and it says that these 144,000 are sealed, and it tells the angels they're holding back the wind. Rick, you mentioned the wind before. And I thought you were going to say this, but you didn't. You talked about the Holy Spirit, which is fine. There's four angels, and they're holding back the wind, and it says, don't seal these guys first. God, so detailed, so planned, everything according to his purpose and his plan, everything to bring about the redemption of people. And these guys are given a new song no one else can learn. And it says about them, these are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Wherever he goes. This is where their hearts were. This is what was going on with them. So you see, and they're from the tribes of Israel, God maintaining his covenant with Israel, keeping new song connected with the great plan of salvation of God for mankind. And I think as you understand more and more about who God is and what His plan is, you get new songs in your life. You get new things to sing about. You get new things to concentrate on and focus on. And God has, He wants us to sing new songs, not the same thing over and over again. Yes, about what you've become convinced of, but then become convinced of more and then become convinced of more, and sing about that. We get stuck in our head. We get songs stuck in our head. And they're often not about God at all. Right? B.J. Thomas, another Somebody Done Somebody Wrong song. Make me feel at home while I miss my baby. Over and over again, we're singing about and thinking about these things, and God's saying, I want to give you a new song i want to take that uh, autoplay out of your mind and i want to give you more than that when we get to the end we'll talk about a couple of songs uh today verse four for the word of this uh, oh sorry i can't do that to you psalm 33 (laughs) verse four of what uh back to psalm 33 For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. All right, so put the brakes on. Stop the presses. Stop the loop of continual bad news in your mind. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. We need to tell ourselves these things over and over again. Let it sink in. You've ever been sitting outside and it's a little bit cold, right? And it's cloudy. And, uh, you know, if, especially if you've got your eyes closed, you, have, you feel this sensation. Um, the clouds part and the sun comes out. And first you you sense it in your eyes, right, because it changes, and you feel it, the warmth of the sun on your, on your skin, on your body. And it just passes over you. And in the middle of our strife and our hyperventilation about stuff, we need to close our eyes and remind ourselves the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. All the stuff that we'd be down about, all the stuff, I mean, it's, and, it's, and we need to pray about these things that are, that are bad, and we need to pray about what's important in them, which is the salvation of men and the salvation of women and the seeds being planted that people would know Jesus because God clearly has a plan. Clearly. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. That's a good psalm. Verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays the deep in storehouses. He made it. All of these things come together because of him. He doesn't step away, but he remains intimately involved. Right? If you ever watched... Uh, American pickers, right? These guys go out to places where people have filled barns with stuff. God doesn't lay things up in storehouses and then go, "Where did I put that? I wonder where that is." Mm. When it's held is planned. Where it's held is planned. Its release is planned, and its use is planned. And He has a plan for the waters. And he has a plan for each of us. And everything that's going on, he has a plan for. Verse 8, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. And we see in these previous several verses that God's control is overall. Don't fret about what the nations are up to. Don't get sucked into that. Pray again about these things. Pray about the importance of these things. We don't want people to suffer. I don't want to suffer. I'm the biggest baby in the room. I don't want to hurt. I don't want anything to go bad. Uh, And I'm tempted constantly to try to not have things go bad. We want to pray about those things for people and want to encourage one another. But God is in control, and we don't need to get sucked up into these things. The counsel, verse 11, of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations, nothing can separate you, are salvation. His goal for you is salvation. He wants none to perish. That's his plans for you. And it stands forever. Verse 12, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. So nation here, the word is goy, from which we get goyim. Any good Jewish family with a daughter would not want their daughter dating a goy. And any good Jewish family would not want their son dating a shiksa. Right? That's somebody who's not Jewish the Goyim and the Shiksa. And so Goy here, blessed is the nation, the Goy, it's translated as nation, heathen, Gentile, or people. So we hear another reference here to the ultimate, I said at the beginning, this is for everybody. This is a psalm for everybody. He leaves the places and things out, the names of things out, and it's a psalm for everybody. And we see here another idea of this ultimate inclusivity of God. And that word inclusivity gets thrown around in our culture. We want to be inclusive. We want to be inclusive. God's not inclusive. Garbage. God is the most inclusive being there is. And he has invited everyone in. And here he's talking about the Gentiles already. Long before Peter goes, I'm not sure I'm supposed to go into this guy's house. And the Gentiles begin to filter into the church. And we, most of us who are non-Jewish, are grafted into God's kingdom. It's not speaking of an individual nation, but of the peoples he has chosen that have accepted his invitation. Blessed, happy, that's what's available to all all peoples, all nations. He, the Lord, What does he do, verse 13, the Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. So this blows the deist view of God out of the water, right? That God is a master clockmaker, An artist who planned the universe, set it in motion, then stepped back to let the natural laws of physics take over. A big proponent of deism was Voltaire. He's a French writer and philosopher. I like Voltaire. I think his writings are fantastic. Um, But I don't think Voltaire understood who God was. Each heart is fashioned individually. How much more intimate can God be with his creation than to be in the work of fashioning hearts? If someone tells you they're a deist or that someone else famous was, you can politely reply that that may be so. You don't have to get in an argument with them. No, George Washington wasn't a deist. No, the founding fathers, none of those guys were. That may be so, tell them. But that's not the God the Bible describes. And whether they were or they weren't, I don't know. But that's not the God that the Bible describes, and that's who you need to know. And that's who I need to know, right? Just follow the science. I don't want to follow the science. I want to follow the one that made the science. And half the time, the science isn't really science that they want you to follow, but that's okay. Okay. He didn't form biology, chemistry, and physics and then say, let what will occur, occur. Let's see what DNA, let's see what external and internal influences, what diet, what parents, what nature, what nurture, what education, what environment cause you to become. He doesn't look and say, that's surprising. I didn't expect that to happen. Well, let me jot that down. Hmm, How fascinating. God, that's not what he's in the business of. We're not an experiment for him. He's fashioning our hearts individually. He fashioned you. He understands. That word understands is considers. It's uh, Or the word is considers. It's better read as he understands all your works. You ever surprised at something you've done? Nobody wants to answer. I've been surprised at things I've done. Why did I do that? Our parents asked us that all the time. My brother used to tell me the... Uh, he would, just, he would say nothing because he was afraid if he told them why he really did what he did, he'd be in more trouble. right? It was better to leave it to their imagination uh, than to actually fess up to why he did what he did. But God has fashioned us. He understands that we fall into that inhabitant of the earth category that we are but dust. He's not surprised by what we've done. He's not surprised by what we're doing. He doesn't arrive on the scene after the fact to document the results. Voltaire hated the Christianity practiced in his time by those in power, but I don't think he knew who God really was. He didn't know, he didn't understand that his wit, his mind, his ability to express himself satirically came from the one who fashioned him. Made him fatherless. We choose to make ourselves fatherless, and we ignore God. We choose to set ourselves adrift, say, I'll do this on my own. Don't do it. Don't do it. I think it's important that we have some idea of how far away from the gospel the church has been at times, not so we can be silenced and apologetic for what has happened, but to distinguish between that and who God really is. Yes, these things have happened, but that's not what God called for. And in order to be able to say who God is, we have to understand. We have to grow in our knowledge of him. We have to sing new songs. We have to learn of him. God is in the business of fashioning hearts, considering your ways, drawing you to himself. Verse 16, no king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Army, strength, horses, whatever their equivalent would be today. We've got some pretty nasty weapons that are out there. You go on YouTube and Google like, current war weapons, and you will be surprised at the destruction that can be wrought. None of those things can deliver you. You could set up the, you know, battery of rocket, whatever things in your backyard, and it ain't going to save you. They can't deliver you. They can't get you to your correct destination. But the Lord can, and he wills to do it. Verse 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy. He sees everyone, and he works in everyone. But here there's this special relationship, and who is it bestowed on? Who is this special relationship bestowed on? Those who fear him and hope in his mercy. Any of us that are parents, right, there's a crowd of kids we're aware of everything that's going on. We're watching everything that's going on. Who is our eye on? Our kid. You reach your destination? Fantastic. Um, our eye is on our kid. Our eye is on the one whom we love. whom God's eye is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy. So what do we fear and hope in his mercy to do? Verse 19, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Delivering our soul from death. If there's one thing I've learned in our journey through the Psalms, it's the importance of our souls. God puts so much weight on our souls. It's the eternal part. That's what makes it important. This is a little bit of time. And there's forever good to come. And our souls are what get there. And then we get new bodies while we're there too. And that'll be fun. But our soul is so important. And God, for those who fear him and hope in his mercy, delivers our souls from death. And then it says, and I love this, and to keep them alive in famine. I'm so encouraged by this. He did this with Jacob, right? So Jacob um, has his 12 sons. Joseph is bragging all the time, and his brothers hate him, and they sell him down to Egypt, and a famine comes up. But God's put Joseph in Egypt to make sure that stores get set up, not stores, but that they store up the grain during the the good harvest years. And he maintains Jacob and the tribes— these people that he has put his blessing on, that he has covenanted with through this famine in ways that no one would have expected. I mean, his brothers, when they put him in a well, first they wanted to kill him. In a million years, would they have expected to find him and that God would have preserved people through this? No. So you hear me talk all the time about intense desires that I have for things that God isn't giving me. And I think you can relate to that. Some of you, at least the rest of you pray for me and tell me how you're better. And I mean that in a good, not like I'm not being sarcastic. Uh, Well, kind of Um, some of those intense desires are good. Some of them aren't. And I, there are times that I feel like I am, starving. There's times that I feel like I'm starving for the Lord, and there's times that I feel like I'm starving for things that I know I shouldn't even want to begin with. So what does he do in the midst of that hunger? He keeps me alive. What an amazing God we have. In the midst of our hunger, he keeps us alive that we might be saved. Even when we're hungering for wrong and when we're hungering for right and he preserves us. Verse 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He's our help and our shield. There's none other. There's no one else. We look to other things as our help and shield. What a step down we take from the protection that God would really give us. For our heart, verse 21, shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Your rejoicing comes from putting your trust in the right place. His holy name, Jesus, God is salvation. Verse 22, let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, just as we hope in you. All right, bonus round. What's the first song mentioned in the Bible? First song mentioned in the Bible. Song of Moses, right? An outpouring of praise from their... There's another song of Moses. The other song of Moses. Anybody know about that? You know about it, so be quiet. The other song of Moses, Deuteronomy 32. And in Deuteronomy 31, God says why he wants Moses to write this song. I didn't even have to ask you to turn there. You're doing it. I love it. Deuteronomy 31, verses 19 through 21. God is, Joshua is being uh, anointed to lead Israel in Moses' place. Moses is soon going to die. And God says, now therefore, in verse 19 of chapter 31 of Deuteronomy, teach it to the children of Israel put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel when i have brought i swore to their fathers and they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat then they will turn to other gods and serve them and they will provoke me and break my covenant then it shall be when many evils and troubles have come upon them that this song will testify against them As a witness, for it will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants, for I know the inclination of their behavior today, even before I have brought them to the land which I swore to give them. And I'll let you read that on your own. Deuteronomy 32, the Song of Moses. What's the last song mentioned in the Bible? Who? Song of Moses, Revelation fifteen. But it's not just the song of Moses; it's the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, and they're put together. It says, "Your judgments have been made; have been manifested. They've been made clear. His judgments of wrath and judgments of forgiveness." His presentation of the law and the means of righteousness put together at the end. God's planning is simply amazing. Be of good cheer. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. He knows exactly where you are and he knows exactly where he's bringing you and he will combine perfectly the salvation brought by the Lamb with all the trespass that has been done under the law. And that's the last song we'll sing. Father, we just can't comprehend how great you are. And we thank you that you have considered us friends, to reveal your will to us. Would you help us, Lord, as we prayed this morning beforehand, God, before the church service, would you help us to put on the full armor that you provide? To remember what we've already been given, And I don't think it upsets you, God, that we ask for things that you've already done for us, but it puts us behind. Make us aware, God, more and more aware. Give us a new song, God. When we start to dry up, give us another new song. Help us to understand you more and more, the depths and the riches of who you are.